Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. A graphic novel, a TV show, well it's not TV, it's HBO, and will this thing succeed, and by how much, man? And some might cheer, and some might scoff, because it's Damon Lindelof, but either way we're off to watch some Watchmen. Watching Watchmen Talking Watchmen Analyzing Watchmen And maybe arguing over Watchmen Who watches Watchmen? We watch Watchmen and you watch your language, alright? Just watch it, buddy. <laughs> you watch it. I'm Alex. <laughs> wow, okay. Okay. I'm Justin. <laughs> I'm Pete. Uh, and you are listening to Watchmen Watch, a podcast about HBO's Watchmen. We're going to be talking about the fourth episode of the first and so far only season. If you don't like my story, so write your own, which is my personal credo, but also the name of the episode. It's written by wow. uh, Andrej Parkek. Uh, no, sorry, directed. And it's written by Damon Lindelof and Crystal Henry. Which is interesting. Mm, now, yeah. Uh, now, the title, just to kick it off before we get into the episode, the title is from a novel by Chinua Achibe called Things Fall Apart. Um, I, I don't think it necessarily, we, we don't see the book in the episode, right? But what, no. given those circumstances, it's a novel about colonization of Africa, of uh, a very aggressive man being pushed to his end. We could certainly delve into spoilers a little bit, but anything in particular you take from that title right off the bat and how it ties into the episode? Well, it, it, things don't actually fall apart for our, the characters in Watchmen either in this episode. Right. I th- so I, I think if anything, I don't know, I was trying to wrap my brain around it. I think it's more, rather than the source material, it's just the title and it's all about folks thought- writing each other's stories. Pete, what were you going to say? I thought it was, uh, you know, a reference to the Roots album called Things Fall Apart. Oh. Do they say, okay. if you don't like my story, write your own in there? Uh, I don't know. Okay, great. That's cool how you made that connection based on nothing. I love it. Uh, this, well, <laughs> it is the title of the album, and yeah, that's, I don't know. Okay. It's close enough. Yeah. Hey, listen, it's uh, as they like to say, as Jeff Loeb used to say about the Marvel TV universe, it's all connected. All of it. Wow. Every single last yeah. bit. God rest his soul. I mean, you could also, that could be connect to the title uh, outside of the source material, could connect to Lady True, who mm-hmm. we meet in this episode. Um, and it does seem like she is definitely writing her own story. Right. Yeah. Uh, now, also. Oh, please, Pete, go ahead. Super controversial. In this episode, we find out how babies are made, and the storks are pissed about it. Mm, 
Mm, yeah, yes, you talked is... to a lot of storks. You're a stork <laughs> yeah. guy. I, yeah, I yeah, will I say, and now we're really skirting into it, and we will do a recap in a moment of everything that's happened so far, uh, but this was one of the episodes that felt closest to me in terms of Watchmen, just in terms of hitting the theme. And what I mean by that is just hitting the egg theme over and over and over and over again. Individual issues of Watchmen, as we talked about earlier on the podcast, would always have these very strong thematic elements that would play out. Uh, and here, it's the egg. Like, it's very clear from the beginning. Was it, there, was it like the first episode that... I- Ended with the Beastie Boys Eggman, Eggman song? No, that was two episodes back was the Eggman, and Angela Abar in the first episode cracked the yolks that looked like the comedian smiley face. Uh, yeah. So it's definitely a callback, and it's a recursive theme, but here they just keep hitting that egg note over and over and over again. So Yeah, the egg note, I that's the... It's a tough note to hit. Yeah, it's tough. I can get. It's like the brown note for eggs. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I can get like a. I can hit like a high pancake on my best day, but never an egg note. Yeah, never wow. an egg note. Never an egg note. Let's get. I'm, into- a, I'm a solid <laughs> waffle all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's an easy one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Waffle. Pancake. Waffle. Egg. Oh, see, I can't take egg. egg. Oh man, that's tough. Let's get into it's the recap. Here's what's happened so far on Watchmen. So there is a cop named Angela Abar. She is down in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, she is dealing with a lot of things. But one of the things she's dealing with is the murder of her chief of police, Judd Crawford. He was found hung by a, by a, from Gun a tree, shots. not by a tree. <laughs> That's, we don't know. It could have been the tree. That yeah, we don't know that. We didn't see how that went down. The tree could have been. scooped him right up. Like, yeah, that's like true. Uh, finally, we're sick of your shit. Humans. Yeah, the tree's finally standing up for themselves. You know what? Enough paper, guys. <laughs> yeah, I think we've enough got the enough. Paper. Sitting next to the tree was a man in a wheelchair. His name is Will Reeves. It turned out, Louis though Gossie Angela Jr. didn't know this, uh, that Will Reeves is actually her grandfather. He was around during the Tulsa race riots back in 1921, so he is well over 100 years old. As Pete touched on earlier, he went missing, specifically in Angela's car, a couple of episodes back when it was pulled up in the air by some sort of magnetic crane. He disappeared into that, uh, and that's the last we saw him, we saw the car come back last episode when it dropped right near Lori Blake. Now, Lori Blake used to be a vigilante back in the day by the name of Silk Spectre. She is in Tulsa, Oklahoma, ostensibly to investigate the murder of Judd Crawford, though she clearly has a lot of other things going on, and is in fact very interested in investigating Angela Abar herself. She is suspicious of a whole thing that is going on in Tulsa, which is that the cops all wear masks or costumes after an event called the White Night, where a ton of cops were attacked or killed by a racist group called the 7th Cavalry that is inspired by the masked vigilante Rorschach, who is dead at this point, uh, but was alive back in ye old Watchmen days. Now the yeah, dead now, but once alive, yeah. like so many things. Exactly. Uh, the dinosaurs. Should I get into also. that? How death and life work? Yes. Okay. We got to cover. This is a recap, Alex. You can't <laughs> just dive into this. Okay. Shit. I so would first like to of point all, out there was uh, some molecules that came together. What did you want to say, Pete? Uh, that she also thinks when a car uh, 
drops from the sky and lands in front of her, that that is hilarious. So part of the reason for that is because her parents, as we delve into further in this episode, are the original Silk Spectre and the comedian, a guy named Eddie Blake, whose murder himself kicked off the events of Watchmen, the comic book. Uh, She went from adopting her mother's identity to adopting her father's identity as the comedian and since has given (coughs) that up and joined the FBI. So she has a little bit of a mix of both. She has the dark humor of the comedian, which barely could be called humor at all. Uh, She also has the, I guess, best way of putting it is conflicted sexuality of Silk Spectre, which is something that a lot of people hooked into the last episode with a certain big blue dildo uh, that... Oh, man. mm, Come on. Can we not talk about it for one episode? I do remember that. Yes. uh, Should I describe it a little more? No. Okay. Uh, Well, it is uh, based on Dr. Manhattan, her ex-boyfriend, who is now living on Mars. As far as we know, though, I have certainly have some suspicions there. Uh, It's loosely based on him, but I'm sure some liberties were taken. Loosely based on him, loosely loosely based on me. Let's not quibble. It's not a big deal. Yeah, no, it could be. There's a lot of origins to that. Yes, not unimportant. A little pinch of this, a dash of that, and there's your blue dildo. That's the recipe. Uh, speaking of space stuff, weird stuff has been going on with Adrian Veidt, a.k.a. Ozymandias, the guy whose whole plan kicked off things that happened in the original Watchmen comic. A lot of stuff going on there. He has two very weird uh, valets called Mr. Phillips and Miss Crookshanks. They seem to be clones of some sort, though uh, David Lindelof did note on the official Watchmen podcast he didn't want to call them clones, but... I think we can call them clothes. This is the unofficial Watchmen podcast. Uh, and he, yeah, we get nuts like that. Yeah, we go crazy. He, we do what we want. We're irreverent. <laughs> They're clones. Uh, so some weird stuff has been going on there. Uh, he maybe seems to be trapped there. Maybe not. There's a character called the Game Warden who doesn't really show up this episode, uh, but seems to be holding there. And he seems to be getting more and more frustrated as time goes by. We'll delve more into that later. Uh, other characters you probably need to know about, along with Lori Blake, is a younger agent named Agent Petey. He is super Petey. into yeah. Pete. Pete loves Pete. Cool. P- agent, cool dude. Agent Petey is very into vigilantes himself. He is very uh, knowledgeable about their history. He also is very much on the side, and Lori Blake kind of just keeps pushing him off. Uh, last thing that I'll mention, though there are other characters. Off to the side, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's where you want to be. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. That's why. Living the, just outside the spotlight. I don't know a lot about yeah. sports, but I know if you're on the sidelines, that's the best place, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's right Less where you want. likely to get hurt. So last one yeah. we can talk about, and then we can delve right into the episode from here, though there are obviously a lot of other characters we need to talk about, uh, is Lady True. We've only got little hints of her so far. We know she is building this enormous structure called the Millennium Clock, either in or right outside of Tulsa. We also know from, uh, I think, mentioning the show, but also a lot from the supplementary materials, she bought Adrian Veidt's company after he disappeared about eight years prior at this point. And so that brings us right into the episode with this first sequence (coughs) where we get to see a uh, a couple just having a nice time trying to sell some eggs. They drop some eggs. One of them catches Uh. the egg. The whole thing is scored to, I believe it's a remake of Ghetto Superstar? Uh, Well, it's Islands in the Stream. Uh, So that's a remake of Ghetto Superstar? No, that's the original the movie song. Bullworth? 
Oh, wow. Boy. Alex, your wow. <coughs> cultural touchstones wow. are not, um, <laughs> I don't know, generally understood, I guess. Yeah, probably. But not. I will say I understand your Jay Billington, Bill Woolworth <laughs> reference. Ghetto Superstar is a great song, it though. It is a good song. Uh, but yes, it's Islands True. of the Stream. Uh, they seem to be having a nice time, but it's just the two of them on this farm together. Um, first uh-huh. hint of these eggs, uh, we see she trips and breaks all of the eggs. They're only able uh-huh. to save one. That's a clear metaphor for what's about to happen to them. They're doing a puzzle, but they haven't quite finished the puzzle. Again, very clear metaphor, what's happening there. And then in the middle of the night... Finish your puzzle, guys, because if you don't finish your puzzle, you're going to die soon. That's the metaphor. That's not the metaphor. Never finish a puzzle. You can't walk away from a puzzle, otherwise you'll die. That's what they're saying. Nope. You don't need to finish puzzles. You know what the picture is. Yes. (laughs) So first of all, to be very clear... Don't start puzzles. You'll die. Pete's clearly feeling very salty tonight. Uh, that's not the metaphor that's going on. What is the metaphor <laughs> is that we find out very quickly uh, this is a childless couple. They've tried to have a child for a really long time, and none of it worked. So even though they feel complete, they seem very happy, their puzzle is not particularly complete in the middle. Uh, it's Also, uh, note, I think it's a Starry Night is the puzzle that they're doing. I couldn't be 100% sure. Yeah. I get it because I started two puzzles and it immediately had a baby right after. Oh, shit. That's not Talk about an aphrodisiac. Puzzle me. So then we meet Lady True. She knocks on the door and she comes in to chat with these folks and tells them, we have three minutes right now. I'm going to buy your farm and the 40 acres around it. Uh, I'm speeding through this, but I want to talk, go back and talk about Lady True and your first impressions. Uh, the, you know, this this makes a this is a good chunk to talk about. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, also real, a trillionaire. Yes, she's a trillionaire. She wants to buy the farm, uh, and what she ends up doing is she says, no "You tried to have a baby. You are were not successful in having the baby." Uh, but guess what? I made you a baby, and it is your baby. She makes a joke very quickly about, if you don't accept the baby, I'll just destroy it. And she says, I'm just kidding. I'll give it to a happy family. you got to decide right now. I'm going to give you $5 million and the baby, and you need to move off this farm. It's mine. Uh, and they say, eventually, like they have no choice. They hold the baby, which is their mistake in a oh, certain way. Never, yeah, never pick up the and, baby. Then uh, they it's agree all over. to do it just as something falls from the sky, and then we get a fade from that to what seems to be modern day Tulsa. Uh, let's jump back now. Let's talk about <clears throat> yep. Lady True. What were your first impressions of her? What do you think of the character, and what do you think is going on in the scene? Well, well, let me ask you guys a question first, because both of you guys have uh, kids. Is that yes. what happened? Lady True showed up at yeah. your door and was like, listen, I made these babies for you guys. I keep buying it, farms and she keeps giving me babies. Wow. It, it doesn't have to be Lady True. It could be anybody with a baby. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's uh, it's just the deal isn't good. You went up to Lady False went up to you, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she was like, one of these is a baby and one of these is a blanket filled with ants. Oh, jeez. Well, anyway. Which one you pick? Ants. We took the ants. <laughs> Smart. Uh, well, let, and now we rule them as king and queen. <laughs> no offense to your great question, Pete. Let's jump back to my question. So, what did you oh, sure. think of <laughs> wow. Lady True? Great interview technique, Frost Nixon over here. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of Lady True? What was your first impressions of her? What do you think is going on in this scene? What does she want out of the farm? What does she want out of this couple? 
I mean, I think uh, she seems to be, um, she knows that this thing's about to crash onto the farm and she wants to own it, so she has to buy yeah. the farm. Uh, she seems to be someone who is well aware of everything that's happening. She has a plan. She's the inheritor of Adrian Veidt. She mentions legacy a lot, mm-hmm. um, which I think is both thematically important for this whole show, and it seems like her whole thing. She seems like she's preserving Veidt's legacy and establishing one for her uh, of her own. Also, she's super cocky. I mean, to just walk into somebody's house and give them 30 seconds to decide their life, I mean, she is just, you know... Uh, she cut it. She was cutting it close. She was cutting it close, but got the deal done just as the uh, you know whatever landed in the backyard. I'm going to do the same thing to you, Pete, but with a meatball sub oh, for you to decide what, if you want dinner or not. So oh, this man. is to me this is an interesting character because we've already met several original characters to the world of Watchmen. Uh, Angela Abar, aka Sister Knight. We met Looking Glass, which is one of her other cop buddies. He wears a reflective mask. Uh, uh, there's Red Scare, uh, Pirate Jenny, a bunch of folks like that. But they've all, to me, felt part and parcel to the world of Watchmen and the world that we've established. Lady True threw me because she seems significantly less grounded than any of the other characters. I don't, I don't know if you guys grounded have the same in the impression. World, grounded in the world of Watchmen or grounded in the world? Uh, the world of Watchmen. The world of Watchmen. Okay. Um, they all kind of make sense to me, except Lady True, who uh, I'm not even. I don't even necessarily dislike it at the moment, but right now it seems very typical supervillain to me. I don't know if she's a supervillain, but she's the. I'm coming in. I'm making you an ultimatum. I'm very cocky. I'm making jokes. It felt a little stagier to me, and I don't know if it's because we're ultimately going to find out she is putting on this front and she is being stagey, or if that's how the character is written. I think it is, it's purposeful. Adrian Veidt was the same way. He was mm. putting on a show, he was playing a character, and he had his underlying plan and a whole different demeanor. Uh, he, he was sort of doing that twice, both as the superhero and then later as this like wealthy industrialist when, in fact, he was plotting to kill three million people in Times Square. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk uh, about... Oh, Pete. Uh, she's also like super creepy because that kid seems like an extension of herself. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I think it's like, I don't know, you know, like if that thing is a big clock or a big like time machine or something, because it seems like her and the creepy kid are one. Well, this is uh, jumping ahead. We did get to see uh, who, she, who she doesn't even say is her daughter, but everybody else assumes is her daughter. Uh, a mm-hmm. couple of episodes back showing up at the newsstand and picking up newspapers for her. We get to see that character again, living in a vivarium with her. Um, I, I would venture a guess that that's her clone, right? Yeah, I got to feel like that's a clone. Yeah. It, or it's uh, a time baby. Oh, excuse me. Could you quick, real quick define a time baby for us? <laughs> that's a term you used as if we knew what it was. Well, you know, uh, it's that old, you know, make a baby, throw it into time, and then, like, you know, see what happens. You know what I mean? What do you mean that old... <laughs> What is that? It's not an old anything. Well, you know, you make a baby it, and throw it into time. Yeah, yeah. You build the catapult that you know throws mm. things into time, just like that. Uh, what's his face is doing? But you do that with babies. Yeah, it's like that. Uh, you know that old song. You take that baby, throw it into time, then it yep. comes out an adult. Yeah. 
yeah. A classic true. song. That old yeah. vaudeville classic. Classic song. I don't think it's a time baby. I'm just going to throw that out there. Okay. I don't know necessarily what is going on with the Millennium Clock uh, that she's building. I don't think we have nearly enough facts to figure that out at this point. Um, no. Unless, Justin, you, think she, you have a guess, it seems like. I've cracked it. No, I, I, I was agreeing with you. We don't have the facts. But I do think she seems to, she can predict events, mm-hmm. um, it seems like, uh, to the minute. Because she had uh, the timer right down to a minute. And real missed opportunity to not have an egg timer. <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, she should have um, set one down on the table. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do think she... When she um, sort of she's putting herself in the position of Adrian Veidt, but she does seem to have some Doctor Manhattan powers or like control of his information or mm-hmm. something like that. So I think there is a lot more to learn from her. Another thing I was thinking for this whole scene, it felt very Superman's origin, mm-hmm. like young couple farm, they can't have a kid, and a kid it sort of lands with them, yeah. and then to see her give them a baby in the style of the Superman origin and then have this uh, rocket fall from the sky I thought was interesting. Well, and you brought this up with the first episode. That's sort of Will's origin as well where he comes out of the Tulsa race riots and he finds this little baby in the field and carries the baby away. So again, we're getting these things that are reverberating throughout the story of the show. Um, Yeah, I wonder how connected they are. In terms of what's yeah. falling out of the sky, I feel like it breaks down into two guesses in my mind. Not to get too speculative, certainly we could do that on the bonus podcast. Uh, but I think either it's Adrian Veidt and what we're seeing with his scenes already happened, and this is her, yes. you know, catching him escaping wherever he is, or it's Doctor Manhattan, and potentially this was years ago. What I took away from the fade is that maybe this happened previously and then they built Tulsa over this, the way that they fade the stuff. Uh, or the the Millennium Tower right. or whatever it is. And yeah. I don't know. Again, this is jumping all over the place, but there's a scene later on with Angela and her adopted son, Topher. I'm not totally convinced of this, but there's been a couple of scenes where Topher has been very interested in things and he's been interested in the squid and we saw him building the castle that Vite was in with those magnetiles and then breaking it the same way as Dr. Manhattan did on Mars. There's a scene where Angela goes into the bedroom with Topher and it's bathed in the blue light that is the same blue as Dr. Manhattan, which felt to me, and this is going way further afield, but what if Dr. Manhattan did come down crashed down in that scene we saw as a baby and grew up to be Topher, right? Like it's Dr. Manhattan essentially saying, I'm going to try to be human from the ground up and figure out what that means. I think that the blue hue that you were seeing in that room was just somebody opening up a briefcase with a giant blue dildo inside, and that's why the light came through the window. That could be. They're very reflective if they're made well. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, Alex, that you just, that's a great, that's a wild theory, but you sort of described a time baby <laughs> after, we made, after we just made fun of Pete. We just made fun of Pete for saying time baby. And then you literally say time baby. <laughs> I mean, when you're burnt, you're burnt, you know? 
Yeah, yeah, and you burnt. Yeah, uh, yeah I burnt. Oh, uh, let's move on for the Lady True Seed. Justin, do you mind uh, walking us through the rest of this episode <laughs> at this point? And I'm sure we'll come back to Time Babies a couple more times. Uh, definitely. It's inevitable. Uh, so uh, we get more eggs. Uh, Sister Knight returns to her sort of headquarters. Will is gone. Um, she cuts up and destroys the wheelchair, which yes. was very like, smart. Well, you got to get rid of the evidence. Well, but it's not a body. Well, what? Uh, let's talk about what Angela is doing at this point. So she has hidden the, scene, the fact basically. that Will was at the tree where Judd Crawford was hung. And she yes. brought him to her bakery shop. She found out all this information about his familial connection, but she hasn't told anybody about it. But she also seems very angry about it. What, what is her goal at this point, do you think? I think she's well, and this sort of uh, her moves throughout this whole episode. She wants to solve this, but she also wants to cover her tracks. Mm-hmm. Like she's a meticulous cop, and so the fact that she like dismantled that wheelchair and got rid of it like a very uh, like a great mobster yeah. uh, means that she really wants to cover her tracks, which sets up Lori to just totally know everything that she's doing way ahead of her as like her foil. I think. But yeah, and then on the other trying- side, and on the other side, I think she wants to, like I said, solve this murder, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and but also find out who Judd really was because he yeah. is not what she thought. Yeah, she's just trying to put shit together and figure out, you know, uh, why he was murdered and like what he was into. You know, just getting getting the facts. Yeah. But sometimes you're not paying attention, and some lube dude shows up and witnesses everything, and then disappears into the sewer. So there's been a lot of conversation about how this show is weird, and I think your weirdness yes. varies on how what whether you read the comic, whether you've seen the movie, whether you're familiar or into sci-fi or superheroes or anything like that. Um, this was the weirdest seed to be. The Which lube, the lube dude. So she. Well, hold on, we're not even at lube. Dude. No, we're not at lube. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> Don't listen to Pete. Pete jumps around <laughs> like uh, some sort of time baby. Jump he doesn't know what time it is. Um, so she, the, we have this whole sequence where she um, goes back to um, the place where she, the museum where she learned about her genetic history. Yeah. She um, calls connect. ahead, which is super smart. You got to call ahead. She got to call ahead. She when did you break not call ahead. What she did was she called. The police station and said, Pete, you're out of control today. Uh, She calls the police station and says, hey, uh, did you hear the alarm go off at the museum? Uh, If so, it's just me checking it out. And they're like, oh, okay, no problem. Then she breaks into the museum. We get to see a little bit more of it. Yeah. So she calls ahead of breaking into the museum. Sure. Uh, and yeah. we see a bunch of holograms there. There throughout the history of presumably Tulsa, uh, specifically in terms of race relations. Um, she goes up. We get to see uh, Henry Louis Gates Jr. Is that his name? Again, I believe so. Uh, and she finds out that there's a new branch of her family tree. She goes into. I was about to call it a vivarium, but we get a lot of greenhouse imagery as well. Things growing this episode. She gets an acorn again, another egg, I think, uh, and finds out more. About- Ooh, it's a tree egg. It's a tree egg. That's what I always called them until I found out they were called acorns. Wow. Yeah. Tried to make again the trees. The trees are murdering. The trees are making babies. I'll tell you what, though. Trees. I tried to make an omelet with acorns once. Didn't work. 
Oh, mm, I love uh, <laughs> You got to put a hot sauce on it. It'll fix it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, don't let Pete cook you any sort of meal, by yes. the way. <laughs> so I thought her family tree was really interesting. And I, I yeah, uh, we learn a bunch about it. We we don't get to see her parents. Right. 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 But I think that was purposeful because they're not. I mean, it, this whole sequence I thought was beautifully made that the holographic tree was so cool. Yeah. And then um, it loops everything back to the opening sequence that uh, kicked off the season, which I thought was great. It made it all a whole and connects her to the sort of the heroic imagery from the top. Yeah. That was, I also have questions about how this works. I know we're in a partially future tech society, but the fact that uh, she's able to put an acorn in a thing and they tell this beautiful story about her grandfather and her great grandfather. Uh, that's a lot of information. Is somebody writing this and then recording this? Is this a computer doing this? What's, well, what's it's mostly on? the acorn that's doing all the work. Acorns are very soulful, very deep. Everybody knows that. You're just basically you're putting a light under an acorn. It's just projecting its soul onto the you know, the scenery. How much? I just, yeah. I'm sorry. How high? Yeah, are you how doing? high are you right now? <laughs> I am not. Really? Okay, great. Huh. Yeah. Okay, that doesn't seem right. Uh, that doesn't You've been definitely been snorting some sort of acorn. <laughs> do you think you there's anything try this to, acorn. Uh, I mean, I'm suspicious of everything that happens in the show, but do you think there is anything to the fact that we didn't get to see certain family members in our family tree? Uh, it could be a reveal. I mean, I, I do think what's the point of of Will being her grandfather? Are we going to learn? We learn later that Will is, or we get confer- confirmation he's over 100 years old. He yeah. is maybe powered in some way. Like, I think. Or he could be a time baby. I don't quite, again, don't quite know how that works. <laughs> uh, if you're a time baby, wouldn't you be not old? You'd be young? Yeah. No, well, he could eventually be. you're going to get oh. old. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's just time, baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't know a lot about Will yet. Certainly we get to see some pretty surprising things happen with him at the end of the episode. And he indicates that he's trying to impart some sort of information on her um, or to her. Yeah. So it, it, at least part of this, this is kind of a side thing to what you're asking or what you're saying, Justin, but at least part of this is will is walking Angela through some sort of story. And to get back to the title, if you don't like my story, write your own. Um, we don't really get the write your own part. We get more will saying, here's my story. I'm going to walk you through it. I'm going to walk you up yeah. to a point and then you're going to discover something. And that feels like everything is a little bit predestined. Um, so I don't know. And then that's why I feel like Will, if we meet Angela's parents to answer your earlier question, it feels like Will is in that role. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we need her parents as well. Yeah, They yeah. could just be regular parents. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. I mean, we're definitely keeping it very focused. And with we're only at the fourth episode, but there's only nine episodes in the season. So that to complicate things by and then you have a secret father and a secret um, mom and all of these other things, it might be a little too much. Yeah. No. Uh, do we want to keep following the Angela stuff or keep walking through Yeah, that? so let's uh, – so she um, bumps into Lori, who's still laughing at the smashed car. Yeah. Uh, now, do you think a- she's laughing because she just did that joke about throwing a brick into the air and then a car lands on the ground? I mean, I would kind of think that's funny if I just did a phone call like that. 
Yeah, I mean, we talked about that in the last episode. I think maybe you were not here, Pete. Uh, but that that was my suspicion, is that she tells the brick joke, and she, at least in part, potentially thinks this is Dr. Manhattan dropping a car out of the sky. But And that's why she's laughing at it. It is the punchline to the joke. But what I really yeah. liked about this is this recontextualizes what happened at the end of that episode, because it makes me think that she is laughing because she knows Angela is coming up or somebody is coming up and she wants to make them think that she doesn't know they're there because she has that immediate turn where she's laughing and then Angela walks up and she immediately spins around, isn't laughing anymore and pointing her gun. Yeah. Uh, though I sick think move. also she, it was a sick move. Um, first off, yeah. um, I think she is laughing because that is, a very com- comedian, comedian style punchline, like the world is trying to, is fucking with me. But then as soon as someone else arrives, she's like back into the mystery and she's like, oh, Sister Knight's here. This is connected. I have to figure out what the deal is. This is her car and she's starting to then be back on the clock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, then Angela goes into the car and finds the pills. She finds the pills, which were left by her grandfather, which become. Mm-hmm. An important plot point later on. Uh, also, Laurie does some pretty sick burns at her, so that's nice as well. Uh, yeah. There, one thing that I really appreciate about this episode is, like we talked about with episode three, we had two episodes with Angela's perspective. We had the third episode with Laurie's perspective, and now I feel like you don't know who exactly to root for, and that's a good place for the show to be. Yeah. Uh, I agree uh, with you. The I mean, I mean, who, if too. you had to choose, if you had to choose, who are you rooting for? Uh, Looking Glass, Sister oh, Knight. Cool. Uh, okay, but, I mean between Sister Knight and Laura. Sure, Alex. I think still Sister Knight, though her actions are becoming more and more suspect and erratic is the wrong word, but she's just really delving further as as Cal, her husband, lays out later in the episode. She's doing a bunch of crazy illegal stuff, and right. it's just snowballing into bad news for everybody. But she does come yeah. clean to him, which is great. Sure. She's very on- honest with her husband. Yeah, but she's only honest because she's backed into a corner. Oh, well, that's the best time to be honest. No, that's yeah. true. I let her uh, lady, lady False told me that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, go ahead, Justin. So could keep going. Yeah. Um, so we Angela gets home. She sleeps in her daughter's bed because her uh, bed is lousy with children, which I know very specifically. Oh yeah. Um, there's a sweet scene between her and um, Topher um, talking about the attack. Yeah. Um, Gives the next her the morning, there, which is when we talked about how he is sort of has a different view of the world. Yeah, for sure. And I like their relationship a lot. This goes back to. The second episode when they she did the we know the world isn't lollipops and rainbows speech where she shut down, sat down and straight up told him shut down. She, yeah, she shot all over his head. Thank you for pointing oh, that out. Uh, she sat down and told him that Judd Crawford was dead straight up. Uh, they are almost more like friends than a mother and a son. And it feels like yeah. he's the only one she can actually really confide in. I mean, yeah, it's a big deal for a kid to hand over their stuffed animal to somebody like that. I mean, that was pretty huge. Did that? Yeah, you still you still haven't handed yours over, right, Pete? <laughs> yeah, fuck you. You're never getting it. 
I'll get it. No I'm going to get Bobo. Bobo's mine. Did you? Never. I couldn't quite tell because I couldn't quite get a look at it. Did that uh, stuffed animal look like a Bubastis to you? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, I didn't I didn't see it either. I, I would say not. That'd be a crazy reveal at this point. Yeah. Oh, not, like, um, not but, like a real Bubastis, but I, I think it makes sense, right? Because Adrian Veidt had this cloned cat called Bubastis. They were talking about in Watchmen. It looked like a dinosaur to me. Maybe it was a dinosaur, but uh, it would make sense because he was very excited. There's some uh, back matter in one of the issues of Watchmen where he turns down a lot of action figures, but he says, oh, yes, let's make... Bubastis action figures, that's great. Bubastis will love that. Um, so I think, I don't know. Again, it went by very quickly, so I'm not 100% sure. But I think that would be kind of a, a neat way of yeah. bringing in the character without bringing in the character. Wow. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, the next morning we get more eggs when um, Angela and her family are having breakfast. I love the conversation here where there's just no religion. Yeah, they it really showed the world as sort of an atheistic world, which I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. Once a uh, interdimensional squid shows up, it sort of shatters your religious Mm -hmm. beliefs and maybe science becomes more of the thing that everyone worships. Well, Cal is also he's describing to his kids. They're asking, where did Judd Crawford go? Oh, yeah. Is that what you guys say when you talk to your kids about death? Yes, actually nothing. Uh, my one-year-old hasn't asked a lot about death yet, but any tell day him now. Early. <laughs> when, tell him early. Whenever my kids say, where did this person go after they die, I just start saying, the worms crawl in, the worms crawl out, <laughs> over and over again. It's <laughs> no. real creepy. I put on a skeleton Stop mask. That. Yeah. No. Oh I feel God. like you barely take that skeleton mask off around your kids anymore. I, it's stuck to my face at this point. Uh, yeah. I I think it's important in the real world. I think it's important to be honest, you know, say, listen, a lot of people believe a lot of different things. Some people believe people go to heaven. Uh, the Jewish religion, they believe everybody goes to a big gray valley and just kind of hangs out there for a while. Um, but that a lot of people also think that nothing happens after you die. And ultimately, it's up to you to make your decision. Then there's reincarnation. I mean, there's a ton of stuff. No, just those three things I said. Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> uh, but uh, Cal still strikes me as a weird character. Again, this might be focusing on the wrong areas of the show. Certainly, you could parallel him telling the truth to Lady True being part of the episode, etc. But his behavior is just still very weird to me. It is weird, and I don't know exactly what it is. I mean, I don't want to keep saying people are clones, but he feels like not a human a little bit. Yeah. He feels like outside of uh, normal human experience. I don't know what it is. So maybe he's Dr. Manhattan. Or like, I don't know. We keep... I feel like it's built into the show where, like, is he this? Is that that? Wait, but who, I don't know. Who Who's Cal? Her husband, Angela Abar's Angela's husband. husband. Oh, no, how dare you? That dude is fantastic. I, I think he's fantastic. Yes. I think he's got he's got an interesting vibe. What? So so he was like, you know, so he made a choice and told his kids something, you know? Come on. Uh, no, it what? wasn't just that. It was also the fact that later in the episode, Lori says she had a whole conversation to him. It was strange to me that that was off screen. It was also implied slightly that maybe Lori and Cal have some sort of prior relationship, the way that she walks up and introduces herself to him at the funeral a couple of episodes back. 
And then again, the way that he kind of lays everything out for Angela later on, saying, here's all the stuff you did. No, I lied about it to Lori, but you got to come clean about the stuff to me. It could be just he's a good husband, but there's something about him that pricks up my alarm bells. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just bothering you that he's a better husband than you are. I think what he's probably doing is he's going, (laughs) I mean, I'm just going to blast by that. Uh, He's uh, going (laughs) online, playing video games and hooking up with a dude, just like in his Black Mirror episode. Oh, wow. Creepy. Great. Yeah. so moving forward, we, um, I, Alex and I, we talked about this last week that we were waiting for the hatch to be revealed in this show, and then it is. There's a hatch. Yeah. Just like on Lost, yeah, and that's where Looking Glass lives. <laughs> so he's in a bunker. He's been taking some photographs of the squids that have been dropping in the sky. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I love the way that he describes it. Uh, I'm forgetting. I should have written down the phrase, but it's like uh, that they – they come here and survive for 30 seconds. It's like they're born to die. Is that what he says? Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he's just so sad about it, but he's such, he's such a fascinating character. I'm also completely fascinated uh, how people relate to each other in and out of the masks, because clearly yeah. he and Angela have a relationship outside of their masks. Right. And that's yeah. a uh, sick mustache that he's rocking, by the way. Are you going to cut your yeah. beard into that, Pete? I might. I mean, he's the new Rorschach, Pete. Yeah, I mean that's, that's he's your it. hero. It was it's pretty unbelievable what he's doing there. Yeah, we do find out a couple of other things in there. Yeah. She gives him the pills she got from her grandfather in order to test them. Uh, he want she wants somebody to take them and test them, uh, and then she also takes the. Uh, Ku Klux Klan robe that she found at Judd Crawford's place in a closet out of her bag. She's carrying it around in her bag, which is kind of crazy. It has the sheriff's badge on it. Yeah. Uh, and I, th- I feel like he clarifies a little bit. This was kind of a question we were bouncing around. But he <laughs> says that it's very old school. Uh, and I think somebody online pointed to us on Twitter uh, that in the Tulsa race riots, there were people running around shooting people wearing their badges on the outside of their Ku Klux Klan robes. Yeah. So, um, yeah. There was a pretty crazy line though. when she's like, look, he's a racist. And he was like, he was, he's a white man in Oklahoma. I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well then what does that say for looking glass? Right? Because he's also a white man in Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. It was, that's a, that was an interesting scene. Uh, but I mean, he, also, Looking Glass feels like he has removed himself from society. He mm-hmm. lives under the earth in a bunker. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he is, as you said, he's very much the Rorschach here uh, down to, even though he's helping out Angela, he seems to have a very clear sense of what's right and what's wrong, unlike a lot of the other characters on the show. I think we saw him eat out of a cat of beans, again, very much like Rorschach a couple of episodes back. Um Yeah. I don't know. He also, this just occurred to me, but just on the lighting thing, the fact that they go in and he has a dark room and he's bathed in red light, that's something that Rorschach is in a lot. That's the birth of Rorschach scene back in the comics. He ends up bathed yeah. in this red light from John Higgins. So maybe that's a connection there, too. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, his mask is a just a classic heightening of Rorschach's mask, yeah. I feel like. 
Um, so moving forward, she then disposes of the wheelchair and sees another costume dude who uh, loops Loop himself dude. up and slides into a gutter, which was, to your point earlier, Alex, crazy. Yes. Now, w- at first, I was a little confused because I was like, holy shit, it looks like Frozone a little bit. And then I was like, <laughs> or like, at baseball. Oh, I get it. This is The Incredibles. Right. And then I was like, oh, wait, at baseball games, there's that guy, Mr. Freeze, who has that kind of same... Uh, costume on, but when he sprays himself with lube and then jumps down into the sewer, that was hilarious and insane and really quite fantastic. Regina King was like, what the... That was great. Yeah, and I think that's... The point of the scene is to make you go, what the fuck? Because everything else, even if it's mysterious, even if we don't know what's going on, connects to something else. This is a random dude dressed like Frozone, spraying himself with lube and sliding into the sewer, and we never see him again the rest of the episode. Yeah. I would love it if this is never referenced again in this scene. <laughs> Just... If that's the only time we see him, no questions asked. Oh, my God. What do you think the chances are that he is uh, Agent Petey, just because it's the same kind of build? Oh. I thought that as well, and I think that could be. It could be. Yeah. It also tracks with him just, you know, into superhero life and wanting to be involved in this when he doesn't really have the cred to be actually investigating. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, somebody knows that she was throwing a bag off of the bridge. So that's certainly interesting there and puts her in a weird place. Uh, And then is this after this, she gets back to the police station, right? Yeah, she yeah. bumps into Keen, who immediately IDs her, which I thought was interesting. Again, making him feel more like a villain. Mm-hmm. Um, then she, uh, she, Laura, she bumps into Lori, uh, who is who now running the police station, or at least working out of it. Yeah. Who uh, shit-talks Angela's ability to make friends, uh, which I thought was funny. Um, she blows up Angela's spot. She's one step ahead of her, knows about the wheelchair tracks, knows everything. Fingerprints on the car. Yep. And she says that Will was a cop in New York City, which I thought was a probably a big fact. Yeah. I think overall what she is doing here, this definitely seems like she already knows what's going on. Lori knows almost exactly what's happened. Or maybe she doesn't have all of the pieces, but she's very well aware that Angela is involved in this and Angela is potentially guilty in some way. Uh, and it's... It's an interesting flip from the previous episode where it felt very even-handed with them, ending with that amazing Regina King flutter the that she did that completely yeah. threw off Laurie Blake. Here, Laurie has the advantage the entire episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think she will continue as on the investigative side, but I think uh, Angela's going to start to have more... She's going to be in the mix, like, breaking heads and... I think she's going to start to have more power once we get into the sort of the meat of the mystery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, they end up uh, driving over to Lady True's place because they've gotten a break there. And along the way, again, we get uh, it's a very expositional scene, but I liked it a lot anyway. I like the way that they played it out because they talk. uh, Laurie talks about her perspective on masks, that everybody is wearing a mask because they're hiding some sort of trauma. They're hiding some sort of pain, which again, not to keep calling this out, but uh, David Lindelof mentioned on the Watchmen podcast, official one, uh, that that is... Stop plugging another podcast. Again, it's fine. The more podcasts, the merrier. 
Uh, also check out This American Life and the WTF <laughs> pod. Really good. Uh, <laughs> but he mentioned that that was one of his main things with the show is the idea of inherited trauma and ger- generational trauma. So it's interesting that in a certain way, Laurie is almost like his surrogate here saying the point of the show. Um, and we find out she calls out Petey and says, go ahead. It's no problem. Tell her about my yeah. history. Uh, Sister Knight doesn't know her at all. Like she kind of knows mm-hmm. the name Silk Spectre and uh, the comedian, but she's like, oh, like the characters on that Minute Bad show. And it, it's interesting because in our heads, as people who have read Watchmen and are watching the show and everything, these characters loom so large but in the world of the show, it's been over 30 years since these people operated. So, of course, it would be, oh, yeah, those are those characters on American Hero Story. Yeah, Right. Of course, it's like, I mean, if we bumped into the members of Third Eye Blind, we'd be like, what? Who are you? And I'd be like, I know, because I'm the PD of Third Eye Blind. <laughs> <laughs> what? What is the modern equivalent? What's the American Hero Story version of Third Eye Blind? Oh, um, <laughs> it hasn't been made yet. Yeah. I, I hope to be the one to do the intense action documentary about Third Eye Blind. I was about you to say like she's all the that. Music? I was about to say she's all that, but that would be six beds, none the richer, right? Yeah, how dare yeah, you? Sorry about that. Again, great, very modern reference that I'm making here. Uh, So they have this really good scene. Uh, Then they get to Lady True's place, and we immediately get sent into Crazy Land, uh, where she has this enormous tower. We get to see the Millennium Clock. I know Pete doesn't want to be to bring this up, but I could not look at that tower and not think it's the same shape as the enormous blue dildo. Because Oh, come on, man. No, I'm totally serious, and I think it's purposeful because you have this shaft no. that is protruding into the sky. Oh, come on, and man. The, shut up. The vivarium at the bottom is like the scrotum that she snaps on. I oh, think man. they're very purposely the same shape. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry. and I think her plan um, is to fuck the sky. I wow. Mean, maybe. Maybe, man. <laughs> Maybe, man. I don't know. So, Maybe that's it. I'm the one who, Isn't that what we're all trying to do? We're just trying no, to get, no, out, we're not. get high and make time babies, baby. Um, so they show up, and Mini-Me is there, and she's like, all right, right this way, but only the ladies. Sorry, well, Pete. Uh, just before that, though, we do find out what actually picked up the car, which is one of these vehicles that Lady True has to bring the materials up to the top of the Millennium Tower. Uh, Millennium Clock? Is that the name of it? Millennium Clock, sorry. Uh, And they only have six of them, uh, and they do provide the names of the drivers, the people who can do it later on, uh, but it seems pretty clear that was the thing that picked up the car, particularly as it turns out later on uh, that Will is actually there with Lady True. Yes. Which I do think defeats um, I, one of the theories. There were a lot of people, both in our Patreon Slack and online in general, speculating, oh, that's Night Owl is picking her up. I think yeah. at this point it's yeah, not I thought that too. Night Owl, right? Right. Yeah. Um, I, I'm starting to feel less certain we'll, we'll see a Night Owl because uh, I do think that Angela is the Night Owl mm. of the show. Because Sister Night, Night Owl. Uh, more so because she's like this outsider who doesn't understand uh, this world, but she's still a costumed hero, and she's like slowly figuring it out. Yeah. She's good at it um, and meticulous. And I, I would say Lube Dude is more like Night Owl, where 
He doesn't really do anything, and he only is watching. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Great point. Lube Dude is the hero we need. (laughs) (laughs) I really identify with him. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, no. I've lubed myself out of so many situations. (laughs) What just happened? Yeah, I did that actually at a meeting at work the other day. (laughs) That's smart. Yeah. Yeah, it's smart. So they... Go into the vivarium. Petey gets left behind. Cute little moment of Petey being like, I'll just wait here in the car. Uh, Mm -hmm. And they go into this vivarium. She tells a story about how her mother made her swear on her deathbed uh, never to leave Vietnam. So instead, what Lady True did was bring Vietnam with her. we nice loophole, yeah, loophole, if you will. Great oh, loophole, yeah. and uh, <laughs> maybe she's trying to build a loophole so she could fuck the sky. I'm just throwing that out there. Wow, yep, checks out. Yes, so the stuff that we find out while we're in the vivarium first of all, they get the list of pilots, which almost seems secondary to everything else that's going on. Um, we also have an exchange in Vietnamese between Lady True and Angela, where so good. Lady True says, uh, your grandfather wanted to make sure you got the pills. And she says, oh, there's actually an old adage we had when I was a kid. Uh, go f- tell that old man to go fuck himself. Uh, so funny. Which is great. Uh, I'm suspicious of Lori not actually understanding them, though that doesn't play into it. And the last thing that we see is they see there is a statue of Adrian Veidt there. And Laurie is like, oh, shit, he looks fucking old. And Lady True explains, in our society, we revere our ancestors. But this is also so we can get a nice cut into the Ozymandias scene. Yes. But I think... Oh, go go ahead, Pete. I think that is him. Like, it's kind of like a... Uh, he dies and gets kind of like encased in gold, and that's how he meets his demise. Oh, he's in that actual statue. Yeah, yeah. It's like a Han Solo situation. Uh, Pete, do you think all statues are just people frozen in stuff? Yeah. You know, Medusa was real, and she wreaked havoc for a long time. Man. <laughs> yeah, she got a lot of George Washingtons. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you were going to say something, though, not crazy, Justin? <laughs> <laughs> Nope, that's it. Well, no, I was going to say um, it's very interesting that it's an old Vite there. It makes that makes me um, that lends a little credence, I think, to your theory, Alex, that Vite um, did es- does escape from wherever he is and is somehow involved with Lady True on, in building this tower. And that took that was in the past. Yeah, I do wonder. Uh, I do wonder what side of things it feels like she is tied to Vite. She's very specific about. Adrian Veidt was a great man. She also bought his company. But, again, we don't have nearly enough information with what's going on with Adrian Veidt. Uh, But it either seems like wherever he is, and we find out very quickly now in this episode that he's trying to escape, uh, that either he did escape, and that's what we saw at the beginning of the episode, or this Millennium Clock in some way is tied to him escaping, potentially. To getting him back. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, let's roll through that Vite scene as a oh whole and then we can talk about it. You're this is crazy. So he's um, for har- babies. 
he's harvesting babies from lobster traps, throws yeah. a couple back uh, that he doesn't like, um, puts them in a machine, they um, age up while he's eating some cake, um, and th- we see that the reason the, the clones are so off uh, when we've met them in the past is because they're babies. They don't know what's going on in the world. I thought it was interesting that he's their master but not their maker, uh, which makes me think more so that this world was created by Dr. Manhattan as a weird place slash prison for him. Yeah. Well, he does um, also say something here that I thought was interesting, which is that he thought it was a paradise at first, but ultimately has decided it's a prison. So yeah. it does seem to me like he chose to come here, potentially, wherever here is, but is now feeling like, no, I have to get out. Yeah, I might have been tricked. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, could be. Again, we um, don't have a lot of information about it. The other thing that we get to see when he brings these baby Phillips and baby Crookshanks back to his manor, they uh, come into the dining room and there's dead Phillips and Crookshanks everywhere. He says, I had yeah. a bad night. And the most interesting line to me there is he picks up the horseshoe, which is what Phillips gave him in the first episode instead of a knife. And he says, I don't need that yet. Which to me yeah. seems to indicate that the horseshoe is actually a crucial part of whatever his plan is right now, and that we are going to see Phillips hand it to him at the right point. Yeah, I hope so, because that's, that's fun. Yeah. yeah, I hope he finally gets it right. Um, so we end this scene with uh, him flinging dead bodies with a massive catapult, and the bodies vanish um, at a certain point in the sky. Which makes me think that that they are on the surface of Mars, and those bodies are shooting through the whatever dome he's in and landing on the uh, Mars surface uh, in a big pile. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. Uh, another thing that potentially makes sense is it could be some sort of virtual reality type world. Uh, yeah. I don't know. We didn't really see enough of the shape of it, but certainly if we are playing with like domes a little bit, since we do see the vivarium, it also made me think maybe is some sort of dome world type thing. I thought it was more like a, a Truman show where he thinks he's like free, mm-hmm. but actually he's kind of in this r- small area that is kind of his. Do you think this is his Truman show too? Yeah. Okay. Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good stuff. Great. Uh, weird back into Truman Show 2. <laughs> you think they'd get Jim Carrey for it. Yeah. Uh, so then we jump back into the uh, quote-unquote real world. Um, Angela goes home. She picks a fight with Cal. Um, I thought this was a, just a great scene. Um, and then they reference Cal's accident, uh, which I think we talked about earlier. What does that mean? Does he have powers? What, what's going on with that? I mean, when you have an accident, you don't naturally get powers all the time. I don't know if you're aware of that. No, when I pee my pants, I feel strong. <laughs> <laughs> I think he probably had a different type of accident. <laughs> oh, yeah? You, think, you don't think he just had a little, little slip up? Uh, yeah, next we'll episode, see. it should be like... <laughs> You know, ever since your accident, like, I beat my pants one time. Yeah, stop bringing oh, it up, babe. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe that. Maybe that's why he's weird. Maybe there is something that happened to him. But, yeah. but to your point, Justin, de- to get really speculative, if he died in an accident and then they cloned him, 
that might explain why he feels so strange. Yeah. Yeah, because then we've now that we just saw the cloning process, I feel like there's something uh, similar about the way that Cal is and the way the Crookshanks and Phillips are when they first come out. Um, but also, like, the accident, while it's said in sort of a negative way, it could be a, a accident that does give him powers and similar to Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. maybe. I don't know. They, we should try blowing a couple of people up just to see what happens. We should try catapulting yeah, let's people. Let's give it a shot. Oh, yeah. Do you want to build a catapult, Pete? A Peter Pult. Peter Pult. I'll get started. And then just to wrap it up, the episode, we have um, uh, True's daughter, Viam. Is that how you say that? Maybe. Um, she wakes up. She's scared. She has an IV in for some reason. Um, she dreamt of torture. And then uh, Will is there with Lady True. Um, the, True is sort of odd with her daughter, which I think affirms or points toward the clone theory we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get a couple sort of, uh, li- in three days, she'll know what he's done and hate him for it. Um, that's Will. Yeah. Talking about Angela. And we mm-hmm. should mention, so, uh, the daughter, whoever she is, knows that Will is there. We get to the reveal of him. He is looking a lot younger than he did previously. Yeah. And he's walking around. Yes. Yeah, and he's, he's, he's walking around. It's fine. Uh, there's... This scene to me right at the end was the most David Lindelof scene we've got in the uh, show so far. Like the whole thing, very purposely, and they're even recognizing of it, which makes it even more so, is very cutesy and winky. And them talking about, you know, uh, she's got to figure this out for herself. Don't you think it's a little too cute? Uh, I don't know. It feels like a device and it feels like it's pointing to something that's going to happen. That is them as writers talking about whether they are comfortable going down this path that they're going down. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean the big thing and then we end with again, which feels very stagey, but we see Will and Lady True standing together, looking up at the millennium clock and he just says, tick tock, tick tock, tick tock which is what we previously heard the 7th Cavalry saying on their tape, which certainly seems to point to all of this being connected, right? Yes. Or I I would be very surprised if we found out that they were all working together, but I think thematically it Mm -hmm. is they are counting down toward whatever they want. Both sides are making plans and manipulating the world around them to try and get what they want. And it also looked like... um they showed one of those uh, ships again. It looked like they were lifting another car up, you know, to bring it up to the top. Maybe they're building a Mitsubishi dealership. Oh, smart. That's smart. Yeah. Mitsubishi. The word is getting around. <laughs> uh, all right. So that is, if you don't like my story, write your own couple of things for you all. You can support our podcast on patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we're going to be doing a bonus episode for bonus the, bonus. Uh, this will roll out Thursday morning, just in the Watchmen watch feed. So be sure to subscribe there wherever you want to subscribe. We'll be talking about theories, ideas, comments, complaints, uh, whatever you want, as well as all of these supplementary material, other things happening in the world of Watchmen. So hit us up on our Twitter feed if you have any questions or theories about this episode. Watchmen Watch 1 on Twitter. Also, you can check out Watchmen Watch Podcast on Facebook or on Instagram. Uh, Check us out there. We do a live show 
every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater Loft in New York. Come on by. We will chat with you about Watchmen. Again, subscribe and comment. Definitely comment. Those help us a lot on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, or the app of your choice. And remember, remember all your time, babies. We taped this 35 minutes ago. Mm -hmm.